Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as the Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams, where Nat and Sarah honed in on their three-step process, purposefully translating the esoteric into the tangible. Nat Cook gained her experience as a five-time Olympian in the sport of beach volleyball and reached the pinnacle by winning gold on her home beach of Bondi in 2000. Using the law of attraction before she had a name for it, one of her manifestations was meeting a fellow Canadian beach volleyball player, Sarah Maxwell, in 2001. Falling in love, they trained and competed against one another in Australia for years before marrying in 2008 and creating their biggest joy, their beloved four-year-old daughter, Jordan. Manifesting their dream of living in Europe, they have recently returned from their Swiss adventures as the full-time family where this podcast was birthed. During the unprecedented COVID-19 lockdown, the podcast has been cleansed with a fresh new colour, design and even a new name, which means Nat has been booted off the show, of course. No, I'm just kidding. She will still be featured. But the time had come to raise the game and bring you even more uplifting conversations from entrepreneurs making their mark on the world, parents who are demonstrating what's possible, doctors, therapists and experts with a contribution to make legendary athletes who have been living out loud for years. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with one of the world's biggest superstars that many outside of China have never heard of. And it's proof. I've run this like social media test to see and everybody says, she looks familiar, but... So part of me thinks she might like the fact that she isn't recognized by people as her humility oozes from her media presence. Australian-born Heidi Dugan, so everybody, that's who it is in the end, had a quick stint in Japan in her 20s that changed her life. Detouring through China, she first landed in Wuhan and was transported by the culture. Eventually marrying her Kung Fu teacher, as you do, now speaking fluent Mandarin and becoming the first foreigner to appear as the host of a TV show called You Are the Chef. She's appeared on Chinese TV for the past 17 years, and I think we kind of corrected that to 19 years, which means that many millions of people grew up watching her. Three times a day she was on TV, guys, for 19 years. So I'm just imagining you walking around China as like Oprah, but anyway, we'll get into that. She now has two children and three companies, has written two cookbooks, consults to Fortune 500 companies on the Chinese marketplace, is managing director for a trading company and somehow finds time to be given the first ever foreign permit to host a live broadcast on the Oriental Shopping Channel. Like who's seen that? A lot of people, just not many of us. So this is seen by more than 70 million people. And she was known in 90 minutes to do millions of dollars of sales. I would have loved to watch that. So how does this demure and graceful looking Grace Kelly do it all? Like her story is so important as she remains agile in life and open to opportunities around her. She is definitely in the game of life. And I want to talk to her about her daily wellness routine, how she manages to raise two incredible children amidst a big life. You know, it's really stories like yours, Heidi, that remind us all what's possible. So I see you you know, being interviewed by Harper's Bazaar or the Australian Financial Review. And you always just come across as the real deal, fully yourself. And the word authentic gets thrown around a lot these days. Um, and you really do come across as that truly yourself. So these, you're the kind of person that we love hosting on the podcast. So I really appreciate your flexibility. So here's the thing, guys. I called her graceful the first time. 
this is actually the second take. So <laughs> our character is revealed in times of challenge and thank you so much for your willingness to come on and speak again. I will do my best to have a beginner's mind and remember that they haven't heard our first conversation. So thank you. Right. And, and, you know, it's always so difficult because, um, you know, when you do something the first time, you sort of are, yeah, nailed it, you know, and the key for me always is to, to not go back to that and just listen to, you know, the conversations and think of them as a new that I'm thinking of them. So let's get started, shall we? <laughs> yeah, I had to, I had to have a let go exercise after I tried to, you know, get Zoom and they wouldn't come back to the table. I thought, you know what? Clearly there's a reason. I just don't know what it is. So I'm cool with that. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you're, I really want to get to the incredible trajectory your life took at age 20, but, or in your twenties, but tell me about the young years first. Like I want to imagine you growing up in Australia, yeah. mini Heidi, what were you like? Yeah. Well, um, I think my family moved around quite a bit with my father's work. And so one of the things I hated it at the time, but it really meant because I was uh, always in new environments, I was going to a new school. Um, it, one of the skills that I didn't realize I was developing was that skill of independence and um you know, being able to go out and socialize and putting myself out there to, to make new friends. And so I was always the, the kid that sort of, you know, my parents would take me to the, the sailing club or, you know, the um, yacht club and I, they just sort of let me go for the day and they knew that I'd come back with a new friend. <laughs> so um, I think, you know, I didn't, did not enjoy having to move around a lot, but, um, but gosh, when I went to China, I look back and realize how imperative um, that was in, you know, building character and building the ability to just be quite strong in circumstances that were new to me. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very proud that I had, you know, a, not difficult, but difficult times mm. um, through that because I, I learned and grew. And how do your, I, I know I'm kind of diving ahead for a sec, but how do your kids deal with that? So I know you spend, you know, two months in Australia. Do your kids enjoy that? Do you find they have that character like you do? Do they bring home friends? Um, I think the, um, you know, everyone's personality is different. I definitely have with my kids, um, they go to school in China and then during the summer holidays when they're in primary school, I put them into school here and everyone's like, you are, you know, like a tiger mom. And, um, you know, I had no expectations for them going to school here. And to be honest, both of them really enjoyed it because it was much more like play for them. I remember the first day my son went to school here in Australia and he was like, Oh my goodness, mom, like, do you get this? We have three breaks and I can go anywhere I want in the school. So he was like flipping out and he was so excited because then he was meeting new kids and things like that. My daughter didn't like it as much, um, especially in the first few years, but then it was about, okay, you don't like it. So what's, what are some things that you can do? Like, you know, if you've got one person in particular that you liked, I would make sure that I, after school that I could get with their parents and get with them to, to make, you know, sure that she had someone to play with so that when she was at school, it was better or that she took a book or what were some of the alternatives she could do? She could go down to the library um, you know, and, and so things like that. So um, whether they liked it or not, um, uh, I, I would say kind of like me is probably there is a lot of uncomfortableness sure. in that process, but uh, going through it and solving the problems and working it out so that you can get by and that you can thrive um, that is more what I'm concerned about. And I do believe that that is something that the kids have, um, have and will continue to carry on with them. Yeah, that's, I agree. Because I think even if I look at you and I both, we're going to get into it a sec, in a sec about your travel um, and yeah. what you're able to do and, and be successful and happy. And I think, yeah, those early years, I hear other people that can't do it. And I always think, what's wrong with them? <laughs> But I realize it's because we were raised yeah. in a certain way 
that was, and and you know no one there's no one that just can't do it and even those people that say they can't do it what what they actually really mean is that it's not a priority for them and that it's not something that they would want to put themselves in because the benefits are not as good for them they don't see that as being an asset to them because anyone if they really wanted to can do it. So I think that that's the thing is that when people say something, sometimes they don't really understand what it is that they mean. They use sort of those blanket statements, um, which often are interpreted, you know, quite differently by the person that's receiving it. Good point. It's true. And I I think it's, I, I really want to kind of follow this thread of it kind of appears like you follow the direction of the wind a little. When I read, you know, in Australian um, Financial Review about your life, um, you thought you were going to end up in the UK acting, for example. What had you detour to China and then stay there? Yeah. So um, that was a really interesting sort of detour. And, um, And I think that what, you know, I'm very much a person that sets a goal and that it goes on that path. So when you say it, it seems like I'm sort of being blown around by the wind or going with the wind, um, I understand that that is the view from outside. Um, but it is actually everything that I do is really thought through and planned. And that as a, is an excellent example. It would seem that it's such a random decision to go to... <laughs> to China when I was going to go to the UK and what have you. But actually it wasn't. Um, and the reason for this is because my decision to go to um, uh, to China and also to Japan just before that was because my acting teacher said, if you are going to be a great actor, you need to get out and live life. And so that was very much something that I saw as this is going to develop me as a person, which will in turn develop, um, you know, uh, broaden my horizon and give me a much better foundation to draw on as an actor. So it does look like it's random. And a lot of the things I do for people outside go, I just can't follow your career. I can't sort of understand. You seem to do this. You seem to do that but that they are, it is very much within the path of what I had set myself. And it always makes me chuckle when people say that. And I go, yeah, actually, it was very much a planned and motivated decision um, so that I could achieve something very specific. It's funny this, okay, so I got to dive into this because this is a really great thing you're describing. This podcast is about manifesting your dreams. And I find from the outside, a lot of people look at that like luck or, and I would say a lot of people, your life would look lucky to them. However, I feel like what you're describing is this sense of deliberateness meets openness. Like there's like this availability about you. So tell me a little bit more about what you see as the deliberate path you set for your life and how it's actually realizing itself. Yeah. So I was definitely brought up and, and have been guided my whole life by setting very deliberate strategies and goals and plans for myself. And I'm very specific about the end result of what I want to see. I'm clear in my mind what that looks like. So when I have that strategy, it determines the path that I set on. And I think we talked about this last time. It's about, you know, you have one two roads in front of you, one road, you go down it and you know where you want to get to at the end. And it might be, you know, whether it was acting or whatever, um, I know where I'm going. And when I'm on that road, it's in the right direction. And I see specific flowers or I see certain opportunities that are in line with that goal. Now, if I was on the other path and I had a different goal, as I'm going along that path, different opportunities would arise that I would be astute to. So I have always set the goal so that I know the path that I'm going on. Is it this one or is it this one? And then when I'm on that road, I'm open to any opportunities or things that seem to come my way that I can actually see. Because the thing is that 
if you don't set yourself a direction, you don't know if an opportunity is an opportunity. It might be an opportunity to me, but it might not be an opportunity to someone else on a different path. Mm. So that's the thing is unless you set that, um, that goal for yourself, uh, a good opportunity is, is, you know, neither here nor there. You need to know what it is you want before you can actually say this is a good opportunity. So that's why often people say you make decisions so quickly. It seems like they, they seem to be sort of random. It's because when I set myself on the path, when an opportunity comes, I can go, yes, this is the right thing for me. I don't have to deliberate and go, should I, shouldn't I, do I think that this is going to work? I can go, this is going to work for me or it's not going to work for me. And I can make that decision very, very quickly. But it's also where you bring in the luck thing. I do believe in luck, but luck can only be seen, you know, when it's, you know, the same thing, opportunity, luck, it, unless you know what you want, then you're not going to know if you're lucky or not. <laughs> some yes. people might think something is lucky, you know, me being stranded here, was it, you know, is it good? Isn't it good? Well, it's given me an incredible opportunity to reconnect uh, and to connect with new brands and companies that are in Australia that I really wouldn't have done if I was in China. Good was that lucky? Possibly, um, but it was also a decision to take whatever it is that I'm given, knowing the path that I've got, and then creating something amazing. And, and inside of that, I think if I'm just knowing a couple of pieces of information about you is that your decision to be here in Australia, a lot of people would have missed it, I think. And we're... I'm okay to yeah. time date anything because we're in, you know, COVID-19 and here we are. Yeah. And, you know, things, there was a time where we didn't know that it was going to be the world. We just thought it could be China, let's say. Yeah. And then you yeah. were the kind of person that said, okay, I'm clear, I'm direct. And you were on a plane and here you are. And so yeah. I think again, this deliberateness. So yeah. I want to go one step. If you can, can you recall how you learned initially how to do that, how to set a clear path for yourself or set goals. Can you remember where you learned that and when you started doing that? You know, I, I started uh, when I was young. My parents have always instilled in me that you must continue to educate yourself, improve yourself and anything that you're doing, you must always be looking at and asking yourself, how can I do that better? How can I be better? Um, so it started, you know, as when I started walking, you know, um, you know, when I started going to school, but it never ends. And so, you know, I think even now, you know, learning to goal set and um, to strategize, I continue to um, tweak it and to um, work out, you know, what works for me and at different times, different strategies work. Hmm. Currently, what um, I have a very clear visual strategy and I, and this I think is a great one for people that are sort of going, there's so much in my mind. A technique that I used and it's so simple is just having a big piece of paper and I write down everything on a plastic post-it note. So I will put one idea on a post-it note and I will just color code and just write as much as I can on post-it notes and I stick it on the paper. Mm. And then once I've sort of dumped all my ideas onto the paper, I then start to take these post-it notes and I can take them off, put them on, and I start to group them into ideas or concepts. The idea of using a post-it note is like for me was absolutely just mind boggling because I would always write something down and then I go, that's fixed and firm. I can't change that. Or if I have to change it, just one thing, I've got to go and move this around. And so my, our brains don't work that way. So the idea of having these, um, you know, my life in the middle, what are the things that are important? Health, you know, wellness, uh, children, family, friends, business. I just put it all, stick it all down. And then once my brain starts to sort of go, this is the same, this is the same, I group it. And then visually I can see my life in front of me and then I will sit on it. 
and I will look at it again in a day and then I will move something around and then I will look at it again in another day and I will move it around. And so what happens is then, and I do this every year with both my life and then also with my, um, uh, with my company. And I just very sort of clearly start to work on this strategy. Once I've got a visual on one page each, I then put it onto a computer and create my strategy for the year for life and for business. Well, it's you know an what? amazing. We didn't even talk about that last time. How good is that? Post-it notes, post-it notes. Yeah, post-it notes. The freedom that it gives you to go, I like this, I'll take it off, I'll put it here and just move things around without having, it just works like your brain does. And I'm a visual person. When I see it in front of me visually all together, the parts, though all those moving parts, it's just amazing. And it just freed me up so much. So that was a really key wow. thing that I did um, and that I continue to do to set my course and strategy for the year. So isn't it amazing? Because, you know, when you're on the path, life gives you these new opportunities. And so just this week, Nat, my, my Nat is doing a course on storytelling and she's loving it. She's a professional speaker and she's just loving massaging her story. So they just did the post-it note exercise, right? So she's in her office. She's got all these post-it notes. And I said to her, everyone's into the post-it note. I'm not digging the post-it note. And what you've just given me is why, you know what I said to her? I said, the post-it notes, they're just disorganized and then they never end up anywhere. And I never transfer. I never do anything with them. But what you've just done for me is help me see what to do with them. Because my, my experience of them has just been the one time placed out and then I have to collect them all. And then it's confusion. So what you've just given me is this process and why it matters because my life has a lot of pieces too. And sometimes it feels like I'm confused. I call myself a hype. No, what is it? My friend termed this hype, a hyphenate, multi hyphenate. So that means when you have about a, yeah. a million hyphens next to your name, cause you can't describe what you do. Yeah. I would say yeah. you, you have some hyphenates. Oh my <laughs> gosh. This would be a great technique for you because in your mind you start to, um, connect you know i always see i it's really funny i am because i'm visual i always see in my mind jigsaw pieces how things fit together and this method was um it was really uh, something that sort of freed me up and you know the thing is that i think we have to be really careful is that the post-it notes are a tool yeah. they are not the strategy and, uh, you know, post-it note can be used to write a note down, put on your computer or put somewhere else. So it's how you use your tools, just like any artist um, or any cook, chef. Um, it's how you use those tools that actually create the benefit. So um, w- I get it. I agree with you. Post-it notes have always meant just these little pieces of paper lying around. So the, the idea is that it's not about the post-it note. It's about the visual strategy on one page whereby I use the post-it note to write down my ideas and my goals for those, for those things so I can dump and then I can put them and then pull them off and put them into group them to create a strategy. So, um, I often like, especially because I deal with China and, you know, everyone gets all oh, the different sales platforms and things like that. I think so often in life, we forget that we make the tool our strategy. And I think that that is where we all slip up. Um, it, the the strat- strategy is a strategy and then you have your tools to achieve that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like for instance, exercise, your strategy is not F45. Your strategy is that you're going to exercise five or six days a week. You want to look like this. You want to feel like that at the end what are the tools I've got? Well, actually now I haven't got just F45. I've got my own personal training. I've also got, I could do yoga. Oh, I've got nutrition that I could do. I could do fasting. So 
so that's the thing is that's why you set your goals and that's why you have the big plan so that then you can go out and find not one tool but as many tools as you can to make sure that you can follow through on that and that's where when you've got challenges why it's important to have a whole heap of tools because sometimes like now for instance me being in australia you know my goal is still there my strategy is still there but the tools that i was using before are not the same as what i'm using now so that's why you know a lot of companies you know whether you're coaching well okay we used to coach offline in a venue that was a tool and a space that we could use now we're using technology we're using zoom we're using all these other things so that's just we just you know people say oh um my strategy is to have zoom conference calls and it's like that's not a strategy that is a you know an implementation a tool that you're using mm -hmm. so so just we all you know and i do it too you know we, it's very easy to slip up and confuse what a strategy and a tool is and it's been that you know with china in my life mm. that i've become more and more clear what a strategy is and what a tool is so that when i get knocked down i go <laughs> that tool obviously did not work but my goal is still there and I will get it so you know like you know I saw a great quote today it was um what was it uh it was something about being knocked down and um but getting up and just sort of fighting basically just pushing through mm -hmm. and and that's a thing that you can only do that when you've got a whole heap of tools um yeah. you know in your hand to basically pick yourself up and, and try try again. Gosh, you would have loved our volleyball coach. Um, he was with Nat for over 16 years and I had the grace of working with him for a while and he used to call it our toolbox. He, we had toolbox sessions and they are about mm. tools. Like for us, it's our skills. Like what are the, the method that we get the ball to land on the court? There's different ways you could do that, but the strategy is yeah. how you're going to use that tool and the timing and like for yeah. yeah so that was a great distinction actually because i really got that in sport but sometimes in business yeah i don't see those differentials and what you said around it's ironic because i introduced you as agile and what you've just described mm -hmm. for me is that's how you're agile because yeah you have this understanding you know the difference between these two things and i hope everybody else is like getting that it's not an accident life guys and it's not even a lucky life that's what people say i think to disresponsible like that's not even a word but you know take responsibility away from yourself that you too can yeah. be deliberate you too can get the post-it notes once a year if you can do it who can't yeah. do that yeah yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think, you know, like you're saying, you know, someone that's lucky or, you know, living this poster life, um, you know, I have my ups and downs constantly as much as everyone does. You know, I just pick myself up a lot quicker and I have tools that I have when I'm feeling down, I literally have a list of things that if I'm feeling like crap, I know that I this list and there are a number of things on it. One is read a motivational book. Mm. It'll always make you feel good. Um, two, exercise. Mm. I have to be exercising. So when I'm feeling down, you know, I look at my life and I go, geez, what are the things that I haven't been doing? Um, and that really make me strong. So motivational book, a um, exercise, music, just putting on great fun music. It's uplifting, it inspires you. And then reaching out to a friend or someone that knows you to just talk about things and that you know is going to give you positive and supportive feedback. They're four things that I have on my list. And with the books, motivational books, I actually have lists of books that I know that if I start sort of reading or that I wanted to read, um, that they will they will give me a new idea and they'll, you know, push me back onto that path. So it, it is really important to have, um, to know that you're going to go into periods of darkness but remembering that you will come out and when you uh when you 
embrace that and know that you are going to feel crap sometimes or unhappy or sad, you know, that you will get through it. Mm. And not only will you get through it, that you will control that process and you will control your fear throughout that, knowing that there will be the light at the end of the tunnel. Awesome. I hope everybody heard those tools. Those are winner tools. And she didn't just say yeah. bottle of wine. Did you get that, everyone? She didn't say her only tool. Bottle of wine is probably the worst thing for me for that. I love when I'm up, I love the bottle of wine. Um, or, you know, I, I'm a whiskey sour girl. So I love to have a, or a gin, gin and, you know, something. So, but I also, when I'm down, I also go, have I had a few too many drinks? <laughs> Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, good call because being able to me, what I've learned in my life is that stuff's going to happen. But in the past, I used to stay in it longer. Yeah. And I'm going to ask, I'm like, I have to ask about your Kung Fu teacher husband yeah. in a minute. And I am going to make a relationship yeah. comment is that like things are going to happen even inside of a relationship, yeah. but it's like, in the past, I used to stay stuck on it. Sometimes mm -hmm. I hope it wasn't for months, but it felt like for months. And then it gets to like yeah. weeks. And then what if it's minutes? What if you could get it down to yeah. seconds? I don't think it ever disappears. But I think that no. for me, that's the evolution. Yeah. Less and less time spent yeah. in the, the dip. Uh, look, you know, I think I was so fortunate that, you know, through my sort of acting career, um, what I learned was is that you were just doing auditions day after day and you would be knocked back every time. And I always said to myself, that is fantastic. There's obviously a better role out there for me and I can't wait to get it. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I know everyone, everyone always comments like you're always happy. You're always upbeat doing this. I am not always upbeat I am really not always happy and you know excited by what I'm doing you know I get tired I get you know distressed I get annoyed um uh, just ask my kids <laughs> but um but you know I I really people don't notice it because I pick myself up a lot quicker and that is the key thing you know when you're in that dark as you were saying you're down I just don't like staying there I just don't like staying there. So I try to pull myself out as quick as I can, knowing where I am and moving forward. That's amazing. Oh, does your husband get the, the tired Heidi sometimes? Does he get the, the crankier one or do you guys have your own code of ethic? Um, yeah, he does. Um, uh, yeah, like, yeah, anyone that I'm living with, you know, <laughs> Get, get that. Um, I'm, I, I tend to deal with things internally and by myself. And that's why I always in my day plan that um, for time for myself. So that's why I wake up at every morning at five o'clock and I give myself at least until seven o'clock where I, I wake up, I get dressed, I take my silicon drink, I do my breathing, then I will do um, some yoga, some exercise, and then I will do a meditation. Generally, how I am feeling at the time, I try to deal with it during those few hours and set my thoughts for the day. Um, so I, although they do get the rest of me, you know, they do get sort of, you know, occasionally me not being happy or sort of, I do try and deal with it during my time and sort of talk to myself. You know, I have wonderful conversations with myself through my meditations and breathing and exercise. Um, and I hope that when I come out of that, that um, I'm in a place that's, you know, nice and kind enough that everyone else doesn't have to deal with my shit. Yeah. And yeah, I totally get it. I've, I'm wondering, I'm starting to formulate this theory that us, us kids who grow up in a certain way, we learn how to deal with ourselves. We come up with these little, um, you know, how to start your day on the front foot and yeah. starting your day on your yeah. terms. And just take yeah. us back for a second, because I'm just picturing you taking this detour. You're in Shanghai or Wuhan and you, you 
meet a Kung Fu master or you go to a Kung Fu class or like, how does this happen? <laughs> it was kind of right. It, it wasn't random actually. Again, it's everything is just, I didn't expect it, but again, sort of, it was a tool. I started learning Kung Fu when I was eight years old with my father. So it was in our breeding, you know, we would go down by, you know, Kung Fu movies, when you can still were buying VHS. Um, so I loved everything about Kung Fu at the time. My family sort of also loved it. Um, so when I went to China, I thought, well, if I'm going to exercise, I should really go and find a, a teacher that can train me in Kung Fu. So I found a um, very cool uh, old man who in my mind was who it should be um, that's teaching me. And he taught me for about a year, uh, no, not a year, about a month, sorry, a month. And then he said, I'm sorry, I can't teach you any longer. I'm going to Japan and I'll introduce you to one of my best students. And then he introduced me to my husband um, who I sort of looked at and was like, you know, comparing this old man, which we have in mind. old man, yeah young kid and um and I was like <clears throat> all right well I'll give this a try whatever um so I, after a few classes you know I was like well, why don't you show me what you can do and of course it's like they're then literally next level at how good they are and I was like okay well you definitely can teach me a few things <laughs> um and it was through that then you know we developed the relationship so um so he's amazing at kung fu and his uh, his whole upbringing was for the sports institute he represented china and shanghai for performance and competition it, you know him and his friends are um quite seriously the best of the best wow and from mm. a cultural point of view, there's one thing to learn Kung Fu from someone. I, I, my sense is that Kung Fu is uh, not just physical. There's a lot of, like from an energetic point of view, there's a lot to it. What happens when you actually marry someone? I mean, this is uniting two lives. So tell me about yeah. melding an Aussie girl and a Kung Fu boy. What happens? Let me bring it into context from a Kung Fu training perspective. Um, when I was here in Australia, you know, um, I, I hated doing Kung Fu because I'd have to spar against uh, all these really big guys and, you know, I'd be forced into it. So there's that one idea of sort of being forced and pushed into something that someone else knows is really good for you and you don't yet know. Okay. So there's that sort of idea. And then when I'm there, you know, it's like, come on, Heidi, you can do it. Get in there. You smack him, use this, do this. And so, um, and so I'd come out of the class going, yeah, fantastic. This is great. I'm getting better. And then to the way that I learned in China, you know, um, my husband teacher at the time was um, teaching me and, um, it would be, no, that's terrible. Jump higher. And it's like, I'd like to jump higher, but I don't know how. Um, and it's like, you can do it, do it again, do it again, do it again. And I seriously, the amount of times that I walked out of my class, my eyes just going, I'm not good enough. You know, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I mean, even now I think about it. It's like, oh my, it was so stressful, honestly. Um, but I also developed so um, two very different methods to achieve a goal. Uh, I know what I would have preferred. And I suppose, and that you, going back to the question about the kids, why I do the two different types of school is because if I look at the two different types of ways that I learned Kung Fu, they're actually both important. And um, if you combine both of those methods, you actually accelerate much faster. So, um, I like it, that. Thank you for saying line. that. I was very curious about that. Yeah. So it's a fine line. And I think everything that I have learned in China has given me literally the flip side of what I've learned in Australia. And it's about taking, you know, people always say, which country or which culture do you prefer? It's like, I'm, you know what, I'm just going to take the best of this, yeah. take the best of this, put it together and create something of my own. And so that is really what I think is the skill and the amazing thing. And you would know about this is when you have multicultural experience, 
you get to choose the best of both worlds. Mm. Um, there is a reason why we have that term. It really is the best of both worlds because you can pick and you, your vision just opened up to new and different ways. And that's what living in China has given me is that what I learned it doesn't necessarily mean that it's so, that it could be this way and that, you know, as we're talking about tools, perspective is a tool. And so it's like picking and choosing what I want, you know. Can I give you a bit of an example? And I know this is kind of a bit sort of a, a funny sort of thing. You know, everyone complains in China, foreigners, about when you're in a line and Chinese people will just push in front of you and they will just sort of, you know, as if nothing happened. Oh, been there. Yes, yes. I, you know. Nine-year-old we woman, there been there. Go, so, it is so annoying. And, um, and the thing is, it, yeah, it is annoying. But there have been times where I have gone, that's a really interesting concept and I've been short of time and I've gone, you know what? I'm a foreigner. They're going to look at me as if you're, you're kind of different anyway. And then I will push at the front and go, I'm really sorry, but I just need to talk to, you know, the, the teller and I've used it to my benefit. So um, I'm not saying I do it all the time, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that you can learn from everyone and everyone can be a teacher. And when you expand yourself up multiculturally, you suddenly have got whole lot more that you can use as you know things to help you you know get what you need and you know push you on to achieving what you want man you've just given me a tool for you know going into <laughs> queensland transport and you need to get to the front i'll just say oh, i've been living in china anyway, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take on your persona yeah. but i wanted to keep going for a sec because i love these little examples so yeah i think my, my sense is that Chinese families, um, that the structure of a lot of grandparents, for example, live with the kids mm -hmm. and their grandkids. So is that true? Is that a, a kind of more common yes. structure? And they, yeah, generally yeah. there's three generations in one family, in one household. Why do you think that is? Um, it, <laughs> Just a it, simple question. <laughs> <laughs> It's really, you know, it is because it is. Um, that is a, that is, goes back for, you know, years and years where the families live together. Um, they've always, the, the structure of the way, like if you go out into the countryside now, um, my husband's family, we go out into Wuxi and not only is that sort of the the uh, um, generations living within that house, but that whole little village, little area are all cousins. It's a village of the same name. So everyone always sort of lived. That's how they prospered. That's how they grew. You know, the, you would always, for Chinese culture, the bloodline is very important. So when someone is a blood relative or connected by blood, there there is a very strong connection. So they would always, and also traditionally, want someone within the family to be working with them because okay. they're, they're generally more trustworthy. So in when it comes now to the modern uh society um three generations because it is the responsibility of the younger generation to look after the older generation mm -hmm. and then also for that mid-generation the the parents um to to go out and work and make money and the older generation then looks after the young children so that that's how it's it's really about um how the family not the individual can thrive in uh, the circumstances and whose responsibility is it to nurture whose responsibility is it to grow and educate themselves whose responsibility is it to go and make money and to work hard so um so by bringing everyone into that household you you take on certain responsibilities where in western culture <laughs> we got to do it all ourselves. Yes, you have to be everything. How do they yeah. view you as a foreigner? So if bloodline is really important, 
how do they view, you know, Australia? How do they view, you know, we could put it in a big box of Western, but is European, yeah. Canadian, American, like how do they view you coming in, let's say, and marrying their son and having children? Like, is that yeah. all well there? Yeah. So I, I think it, um, it, my situation and the average situation, I think, think might be a little bit different. Um, I was so fortunate because my, my husband also was very independent and he was at the sports Institute from when he was very young. So he was independent and his mother saw him as independent. So when he introduced me to her, uh, not for any moment have I since knowing her, has she ever looked at me and made me think I'm a foreigner. And she especially didn't do that at the beginning. Um, so I was so fortunate with that. Um, and I would say because she knows, and also I know that we are of a different culture, she's much more expressive to me. She's um, much more, she explains her reasoning and ideas with me uh, and doesn't just assume a lot. Whereas I find that sometimes my husband and her can have more disagreements than her and I because we kind of bridge all that information um, before sort of getting to the point. So, um, yeah, so I think that that's a little bit different. Me in sort of absorbed into the China culture, um, I've embraced the Chinese culture. I have embraced and not put myself, I've not been one of the foreigners where we go, you are this, I am that. Um, you know, we're all so different. And I try to just see people as individuals and see them just as who they are. And that's how I've treated my fans and followers, um, not as Chinese people, but just as people that, you know, came to me and liked me and my personality and liked what I could share with them. So the Chinese consumer and the Chinese government have um, up until now, you know, touch wood have been so embracing of me and they don't, although they see me as a foreigner, they also see me as a foreigner that really understands Chinese culture and understands them. So I'm very much more a bridge. So they kind of often, People will say, oh, you know, look at those foreigners. So they kind of see me a little bit more like them, um, but they also know that I'm, you know, a Westerner. So so it's a little bit different. But, you know, for the average, I think it just depends in any culture. If you separate yourself and you continually look at the differences that you have, you will be seen by those differences and by the way that you separate um, uh, as you know, and that's in any group as well, when you can show and look at and focus on all the similarities that you have, um, then the other people will do the same. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think for me, I just see your kids as a demonstration of that, the ultimate, um, yeah. mel you know, melding of these two cultures and the fact that you expose them to two very different things. And I, really look forward to seeing how that manifests in them, you know, what they begin yeah. to express. And I think I've, I, we spoke about this after the first interview off, off camera, but we'll say it on camera this time. But basically my best friend and I used to always say that we felt like people of mixed race would do great things in the world because there was an understanding, like literally their blood was um, yeah. flowing both ways. And so I think you, for me, that's who you represent as well. You know, half, like literally you said that yeah. half your life, half in China, half in Australia. Yeah. Amazing, really. Yeah. And, and you know, even with that, um, uh, where I live in China, in Shanghai, is such a multicultural city that it's not even, you know, two different countries. Same with my kids. We're exposed to you know, people from America, from France, from India, from Germany, from the UK. And so we're constantly mixing with 
um, people from different nationalities. And that's why you just, the only way that you can, because you don't know the different cultures, is that you just need to make sure that when you're talking to someone, no matter what country they come from, you don't know their background, you need to watch, look and listen to what they're really saying. And you need to just try and find common ground as quick as possible um, because it will solve so many problems. And honestly, I don't care who you are, um, what country you come from, we all have the same needs and wants. And that is just manifested differently. But if you get up to the big picture, you know, you people always need food. They want security. They want happiness. They want to be able to, you know, thrive and, and you know, share. So when you get to those sort of concepts, I think that um, you and understand that you can always get along with other people and you can always thrive in different cultures. Beautiful. Well, I mean, I get why you were able to be the host for 19 years and really just listen to people. And it was a cooking show, you know, chefs and, yeah. and just being able to go in there and be a listener, you know, and really bounce people yeah. back to themselves. And I just want to thank you for sharing with our community. Um, you know, sometimes in life, you know, you don't know why things happen, but I truly believe that what we talked about today was exactly what everyone was meant to hear. So I really appreciate you coming on for a second time. This is awesome. And no problem at all. It's been great. Thank you so much. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. <laughs> <laughs>